something ain't different now, now that my heart's been found, nothing really feels the same. I hold my head a bit higher, I lift my voice a bit louder, yeah, something inside has changed. I am a mountain mover, water walker, more than just an overcomer. Been set free. I am a gospel preacher, heart on fire, freedom singing, testifier. Cause I've been redeemed. I am a believer. I am a believer. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you back here at East Hazel Baptist Church. And we know, we say this all the time, it's not quite the same, but I'm just thankful we can be back in here together. So if you would, go ahead and look at your neighbor. It might be on your row behind you. Just wave at him. That's our welcome this morning. Y'all can say hey, too. Y'all can make some noise. But uh, we just want to thank y'all for being here today. And as we begin our service uh, for our visitors, sometimes we have visitors and we haven't really said anything about our visitors stopping by our guest table, um, but we won't have anyone there. But right after the service, if you are visiting with us today, please stop by our guest table. It's located in our vestibule to your left, and there you can find a gift bag. It has some information about our church, but we would love for you to stop by there. And feel free to contact us anytime. Our numbers are in the bulletin. You can call the church office. Our staff would love to talk to you and answer any questions that you have. But also for everyone, as you leave today, you may have noticed as you came in at the uh, sanitation tables, if you want to call them that, there's all the literature that we have. If you haven't got your magazines, your devotionals for July, those are out there. So please stop by that table on your way out today. But I want to begin by reading a verse of scripture from Isaiah chapter 41, verses 10 and 13. It says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. Let's pray briefly. Father, we thank you that we can gather in this place today to worship. And Lord, despite what is going on in our world, and Lord, as we face uncertainties just day to day as we watch the news and reports, our hope and our confidence and our peace solely rests in you. You are God. You are sovereign. So God, we worship you today. We give you the praise that you're worthy of, and we declare that you are on your throne and Lord, may what we do in this room today bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Let's stand together and worship.
to you in Psalms 121, and the writer is writing in verse 1 and 2, and the reason I want to do this, I think it's, it helps when we pray back the scriptures to the Lord. It encourages our hearts, but also it gives us hope, it gives us strength. And the, and the, and the writer writes this, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence come, comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. There's three things to unpack in those two little verses. The first thing is this, the Lord is my helper. Listen to this. In verse 1 it says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. We need to look up for God's help. We need to, to look around for God's help. We're in a pandemic. We're in a place we've never been in life before. So we need to look around and say, God, I need your help. I need you to be my helper through this time. There are so uncertainties that are going on in our world today. And we need to look around for God's help in verse 1. Then the, the latter part of verse 1 says this, From whence comes my help? We need to look from within. God, you're the only one that can help me. You're the only one can help me through this time. You know what I'm going through. Not just through a pandemic, but you know what I'm going through in life. God, I need you to help me. I need to look within. And the last thing is this, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I need to look up. May we look up this morning and find our helper, the one who wants to come and help us. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, as we look into your word, we lift up our eyes. We look around. Father, we realize that we need your help. You said in your word that you're our helper. And Father, we need your, we need your help today. We need your help spiritually to walk, Lord, before you. And Father, we need your help and guidance in every day. For you're our helper. And Father, help us to look within. Lord, help us to look within our own selves and say, Lord, you know, I need you every day. Without you, I can do nothing. And Father, this morning, help us to look up. My help comes from you, Father. Lord, no one else can help us this morning. Lord, our world seemingly is upside down, and we're facing things that we have never faced before. And Father, we ask you this morning that you would come and help us through this time. Lord, as you promised in your word, this too shall pass. And Lord, we look above. We look into you, the author and the finish of our faith this morning. We pray that you would help us in this time. We're here to worship you and to glorify you. But Father, we want to bow before you and we want to thank you that you are our helper. And that Lord, that we're not alone and that we do not walk alone. And that you'll never leave us, that you'll never forsake us, and that you're with us always. Lord, we can't wait to the day that we see you again. Thank you for being our helper this morning. In Jesus' name, and everyone says amen. You may be seated.
everyone for being here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to get those out and turn to Romans chapter 8, and if you will, stand with me. We're talking once again this morning about the gospel, and when we first started this series back, uh, I guess it's been about two months ago, I, mentioned, I made this statement, if you're wrong about the gospel, you'll be wrong in every other part of theology and doctrine. To be wrong about the gospel as a teacher or preacher is to be a heretic. heretic. To be wrong about the gospel means you're lost, unsaved, and perishing with God's wrath still abiding on you. And the book of Romans is the most sustained explanation of the heart of the gospel. We're, we're here in chapter 8 still talking about the gospel. Notice these first five verses. These, these verses in Romans chapter 8 can not only encourage you as a Christian, but they also can help you be an overcomer as a Christian. I think every problem that you face as a Christian theologically with your mind can be cleared up in verse 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Notice what Paul says. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So just in those two verses, Paul says this, I'm not guilty, and I'm free. Amazing thoughts. I am not guilty eternally, and I'm free from the power of sin and death in my life. Praise God for the gospel. Amen. Then notice what he says. For what the law could not do, 
and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. And he's just talking about Jesus going to the cross, dying in our place. He condemned sin in the flesh. What a wonderful phrase. Which means this, you do not have to live uh, through your temptations anymore. You've been free. And then he says this, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the word. Father, we thank you for the book of Romans, this wonderful letter. We thank you for this chapter. One of the greatest chapters ever written is Romans chapter 8. Father, we thank you that we can worship today. I pray for everyone here in attendance, Father, that you would challenge, convict, Lord, change us for your glory everyone watching online. Father, I pray if there's anyone who has never surrendered their life to the person of Jesus Christ, our resurrected Lord and Savior. Father, they do not share in the benefits of the gospel, but they can. I pray that today you would set people free, declare them not guilty, and help them to live a victorious life. For your honor and for your glory, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Stephen Lawson said this about this chapter. <clears throat> Many people have called Romans 8 the greatest chapter in the Bible. It has been said that if the Bible is a ring, then the book of Romans is the diamond, and chapter 8 is the apex of the cut on the diamond. The focus of Romans 8 is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer to enable one to live the Christian life. The chapter begins in verse 1 with no condemnation and ends in verse 39 with no separation. Nothing could be more positive than this. It is an entire chapter about the spiritual victory and eternal security that we have in Christ. We have the whole of the Christian life in one chapter. He goes on to explain chapter 8 real quickly. As we go through Romans 8, we see the believer's union with Christ in verse 1, liberation in Christ in verse 2, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in verse 9, regeneration verses 10 through 11, mortification of sin verse 13, adoption by God verse 15, assurance of salvation verse 16, inheritance with Christ verse 17, future glory verse 18, the intercession of the Holy Spirit, verses 26 and 27. The providence of God, verse 28. The foreknowledge of God, verse 29. Predestination, verses 29 and 30. The effectual call, verses 28 and 30. Our eternal security, verses 35 through 39. This is a theological treasure chest. The vaults of heaven are contained in one chapter. It is so rich, yet so practical, as the whole chapter is about our Christian living. What's so wonderful about chapter 8 is read chapter 7. Paul talks about his ongoing struggle with sin. So when I talk about this morning, about how that we are free, about how we're not guilty, and about how I can be victorious, understand that we all still struggle with sin. But God gives us the power, each and every one of us, through the Holy Spirit, to overcome sin if we will. Notice the first thing Paul says, the benefits of the gospel in chapter 8. The first two are declarations by God. The last one is a declaration that you should and can make. The first one is a declaration by God which says to all who are in Christ, I am not guilty. This goes back to justification. Notice verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It goes back to justification. Justification is where in God's courtroom he imputes the perfect righteousness of Christ to the believer's account, then declares them to be the redeemed one, fully righteous. That's the highest court in the universe. And God says you are justified, you are not guilty. This is irreversible and irrevocable. You cannot lose that. When people say you can lose your salvation, it is so theologically impossible. Everything I read in this uh, commentary by Stephen Lawson is undone. Then it happens again. Then it's undone. Then it happens again. It's just foolish to think that. When Notice the word no. Now, Paul says this, there is therefore now no condemnation. In the Greek, that's a double compound. Why? For just two letters? Doesn't make sense, does it? Listen to this. The word no is the most important word in this verse. In the Greek, Paul uses a compound word for no, which is even stronger than the normal word for no. Paul is affirming that there is absolutely no condemnation for the believer. No is actually the first word of the sentence in the Greek manuscript which means the primary emphasis is placed upon no. Translators have moved the word in order to make the sentence read better, but Paul is strongly declaring that there is absolutely no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for us at all. It does not exist anymore. The reason it is important to mention this is that many Christians think that it is only temporary that you're under condemnation. But Paul wants you to understand that you are forever, eternally not condemned, not guilty forever. Look at the word condemnation. There is absolutely, positively, never, no condemnation. It's a strong Greek, Greek word. It means death sentence. It means damnation. It means de eternal death. It means judgment coming down on someone, which means this. There can never be condemnation for me or you if you're in Christ Jesus. Ever. Isn't that a blessing? I am not guilty forever. Forever. You've got to understand, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. Most of our troubles are due to our failure to realize the truth of this verse. That's why you constantly doubt your salvation, because you, you base your salvation on your performance after you're saved, which is totally wrong. You base your salvation on how good you are. This declaration of no condemnation applies to both our past sins and our future sins. See, most of us understand that Jesus forgave us in the past, but you've got to understand your present and future sins have been wiped out completely. When Jesus died on the cross, how many sins have you already committed by then? Absolutely, positively none. You weren't even alive. Your sins have been forgiven. When, one person put it this way. When Jesus died on the cross, how many of your sins had you committed? None. He paid for them all in advance. This means they're already atoned for. Jesus' death wiped out not only the presence of existing condemnation, but the possibility of future condemnation. Literally, there's nothing you can do right now that would make God love you any more, and there's nothing that you could do that make him love you any less. Why? Notice the verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, you are eternally not condemned. Eternally, it will never change for all eternity. I was born again on October 30th, 1990. A lot of sins I knew about, and some sins only God and I knew about. But the night I surrendered my life to Jesus... From that moment on, throughout eternity, I am not guilty. And it's not based on my performance. It's not based on the fact that I'm a preacher. It's not based on the facts of how many Bible verses I know or do not know. I am not condemned because I am in Christ Jesus eternally. I can't get out of him. I am in him. He's in me, but I'm in him. you got to understand this. Listen to this commentary. The status of no condemnation is reserved exclusively for those who are in Christ Jesus. There are only two classifications of people in the world. Those who are not under condemnation because they're in Christ Jesus and everyone else who is under condemnation because they're not. There is no gray area. To be in Christ means that you have union and communion with Christ. The Holy Spirit has placed you into the Lord Christ Jesus. You now have a vital personal relationship with Christ. Everything that is true of Christ is now true of you regarding to all that he has provided. You are in Christ Jesus. You can never be out of Christ Jesus. Therefore, because you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Paul is not basing this declaration of no condemnation on our conduct, but on our position. Do you hear what I say? He is not basing this declaration of no condemnation upon our conduct, but our position. Aren't you thankful? If it was based on your conduct, you'd be out of Christ Jesus every day. Every Monday, most of you on Friday and Saturday, and a large majority of the Christmas and Easter only Christians would be on Sunday. But this declaration of no condemnation is not based on your conduct, and you should say amen. Thank you. It is based on your position in Christ, which can never change eternally. Aren't you thankful? Because God does this in your life. Paul, Paul put it this way to the church at Corinth. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things pass away. Behold, all things have become new. This truth of verse 1 can free us to live the Christian life without guilt and without condemnation. We are not on a performance treadmill trying to gain God's eternal acceptance. It's already a done deal. Aren't you thankful? I likened my idea of being a Christian when I first got saved to taking advanced math. Anybody ever take advanced math in high school? My teacher was Ruth Rufty, one of the best teachers to ever live. For whatever reason, as a senior in high school, I already had my credits. I listened to a well-meaning guidance counselor that said, what college do you want to go to? I told her, she said, you need to take advanced math. Now, I was taking like 
typing. <laughs> I was taking all these easy courses. I was a teacher's aide, all those things. And then advanced math, right? And this roughly would say this in advanced math. Pencil, paper, question number one, which means you're taking a test. And you know how she graded her test? So you'd take the test the next day they were graded. Sometimes she would call out the person's name that had the highest test score. And then sometimes she'd call out your name if you had the lowest. So if ever she said first, Jamie Steele, all my smart friends clapped because they knew lowest to the highest. You know what I told Miss Rufty after about three weeks of her class? I don't need your class. She said, you need my class. I, said, I, don't, I said, I'll never use advanced math in my life. I don't need your class. And you know what? Since that day, I was 18 at the time, I think, or 17. I have never used advanced math. Ever. Ever. If you've used advanced math, raise your hand. I asked my orthopedic surgeon when I got my x-rays because I broke my leg, have you ever used advanced math? He said, no. All right. You don't use, you know what people are doing in hell right now? Advanced math. That's the only people that ever use it. So I told Miss Rufty, I don't need your class, okay? And I don't need, I didn't need her class. But what if she would have said this? I'm going to give you an A if you'll just take my class. I'd have still said no, but it would have been a great thought, wouldn't it? Now think about this. In my early Christian life, because I was on this performance with God, it was like advanced math. I hated it. I was like, well, today I did this. Yesterday I did this. The day before that I did this. I did this. And then as I grew spiritually, I understood that my relationship with Christ is not based on my performance, but my position. Aren't you thankful? See, we all have seasons where we struggle. You know, in Romans 7, Paul says, sometimes the things I shouldn't do, I do them. And sometimes the things I should do, I don't do them. And then he says this in verse, or chapter 8, verse 1. But there's no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ Jesus. Aren't you thankful? See, if you're a Christian because of the gospel and because of the resurrection of Christ, you're declared not guilty. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on you. It's not based on your conduct. It's based on your position. You should leave here thanking God for that. Because it's not about who's better than, than the other person. Because God loves all his children the same. I am not guilty. Notice the second thing here he says is, I am free. Notice the verse on the screen. Paul makes this statement. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law, look at the word law there. For the law of the spirit of life. Stop right there. That is not talking about the Ten Commandments. Listen to this commentary. The word law here does not refer to Mosaic law or the Ten Commandments. It refers to a regulating principle like the law of gravity. It is a governing power. The spirit of life refers to the Holy Spirit who is life and gives life. The Holy Spirit of God enlivens, empowers, and enables us to live the Christian life. There is this new principle is what Paul's talking about. This is a new principle, a new governing force and influence, and that is the Holy Spirit. And he gives us new life that is in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is a law of total depravity and the power of sin that had a grip on your mind, affections, and will. Think about who you were before Christ and all the things you never could say no to. You know why? Because your nature had never been changed. I'll use this as an example from the animal kingdom. If you had a lion and you gave that lion the choice of steak or hay, which would it take every time? It would take steak a thousand times out of a thousand. Why? That's the lion's nature. And before you came to know Christ, your nature had not been changed. So the majority of the time, when you had to choose this or choose this, you, you, most of the time you chose wrong because that was your nature. And what Paul is saying is that when you're in Christ, there's a new principle in your life. The Holy Spirit has given you the power and he's changed your nature. You don't have to choose the wrong things all the time. That's why after Jamie Steele got saved, my Fridays and Saturdays dramatically changed. And my Sundays dramatically changed because God himself changed my nature and I was free from the law of sin and death. See, the law of sin and death says your mind and your emotions, your bent is torn the wrong things. And, and basically what he's saying is this, you would choose sin ultimately every time, but once you were saved, you have the right and the power to choose the right things. When you are forgiven, God give, has given you the ability to change forever. Even though it's not based on a performance, forgiven people 
are changed people. I, I liken it to the woman caught in adultery. In John chapter 8, I believe it is. You know, they, they found this woman. She was caught in the act of adultery. And they said, what do we do? What does the law say to do? Of course, the law says to stone her. And then Jesus writes on the ground. We don't know what he wrote. But he says, he that is without sin cast the first stone. If you study it in the Greek, he's basically saying, any of you guys that are without this sin, start throwing rocks. Any of you guys not adulterers, start throwing rocks. You know what happened? The rocks started dropping. Now notice what Jesus tells this woman. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And what that's a picture of is this. I have given you the ability to say no to adultery. Don't do it. Go, when he says go and sin no more, he's saying go and do this sin no more. You can do that because you are free. See, if you're in Christ Jesus, not only are you not guilty for eternity, but you're free from the law, according to the Bible, of sin and death for eternity. That means when I sin, it's my fault. That means when I sin, it's not my nature. It's just Jamie still letting the flesh override the spirit in my life. And then the last thing is this. Notice, what, not only am I not guilty, not only am I free, but this is a declaration you have to make. Okay? You're in Christ Jesus. You're not condemned. There's a new regulating principle in your life, which means I am not a slave to my sin anymore. I have the power and the ability to do right. I am victorious. Notice the verse on the screen. Verses 3 and 4. He condemned sin in the flesh. Look at that word for condemned. Same as verse 1. Doesn't make sense, does it? Listen to this commentary. He condemned sin. He refers to the Father. God sent the Son in the likeness of human flesh to deal with our sin. By this, God the Father condemned sin and pronounced a judgment upon the power of sin in our life such that it is no longer the dominant ruling force in our lives. Right? God has changed your nature. The difference between a saved person and a lost person is this. You cannot change your nature. The reason some people never get victory in your lives is you've never been born again. You never have. You live the same way before you got saved as you do after and you've been saved for 30 years. I don't know about that. According to the Bible, that can't happen. Because, see, he condemned sin in the flesh. That's talking about your sin. The power of sin he has condemned in the flesh when Jesus died on the cross and when he rose from the dead and you accepted him and you're in Christ, he condemned that sin in the flesh. Now notice this. He pronounced judgment upon the power of sin in your life such that it is no longer the dominant ruling force in our lives. It is still present within us. That's why Paul writes Romans 7. Boy, I struggle with this, Paul says. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. He was honest about himself. It's still present within us, but it's no longer the dominant power in our lives. Why? Because what we just talked about in verse 2. This new regulating principle in your life is that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the power in my life. We can now live this new life in the pursuit of holiness, but here is our part. We can do it. This is a declaration. You must say, I am victorious. All I have to do is to walk in it. In verse 2 and 3, says, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Now, I try to work out. That's hard. Walking is easy unless you have a medical condition. Walking's pretty simple. It's pretty easy. One foot in front of the other, right? Is walking hard? God has made this so simple. Walk. Listen, and how practically does this change happen? Notice verse 4. He says, we walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Notice the word walk. We once walked according to the flesh before we were saved. We all walked according to the flesh. We lived under the direction and dominance of our sinful flesh. But as believers, we no longer walk that way. Walk refers to our daily conduct. See, before you were born again, you walked like lost people walk, right? Of course you did. Your life looked like a lost person. But after you're born again, because God has declared you not guilty, because you're in Christ Jesus, because the Holy Spirit has, and God himself has condemned the sin in the flesh, well, you can walk as a new person, victorious. God has given you the ability to walk in victory. He has given you the ability to be delivered. He has given you the ability to change. But as believers, we no longer walk that way. Walk refers to our daily conduct, putting one foot in front of the other. As we daily live our Christian life, we now walk according to the Spirit. We now live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 5. It's not going to be on the screen. 
Paul says this, not only do you walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In verse 5 he says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Look at the word set their minds. That means that's your bent. That's your, that's your ever constant thought. You set your mind on it. You set it. It's set. Before I was a, a Christian, I never set my mind on spiritual things ever. I never set my mind on church. I never set my mind on the Bible. I never set my mind on evangelism. I never set my mind on tithing. You think I would give you my money? <laughs> no. See, those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. That's your thought pattern. That's how you're bent. That's, that's your nature. And then notice what he says in verse 5. This will help you. Notice what he says. He says, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Notice, you was walking in the flesh, now you're living in it. And then he goes on to say this, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Your mind now is set on the Spirit. Therefore, you can walk in victory. You can do that. See, that's what happens when you have fellowship with someone. Notice, he says, notice he doesn't say set your mind on the Spirit, but the things of the Spirit. Set your mind, what are the things of the Spirit? Of course it's God's Word, it's evangelism, it's missions, it's worship. And imagine if you get a whole group of people together in a church and they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Then you'll walk according to the Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Are you walking? What are you walking in? What are you walking in? Are you walking in doubt, discouragement? That's not of God. Are you walking in lust and addiction? That's not of God. Walk in the Spirit. Stop walking in the flesh. That is your duty. That is your duty. Where did you spiritually walk last week and whose fault is it? You see, what God does when He saves us, He justifies us. Verse 1, He sanctifies us positionally. You're set apart. You're in Christ. But then there's sanctification. Practically, that's what you do. That is what you do. 99% of the counseling I do with people in Alexander County comes from this thought, okay, of sanctification, practically speaking, they just don't do it. This is what you do. I'm going to read with you, and we'll close with this, all these verses on what you do. This is what you do in your spiritual life because God has, has defeated the power of sin in your life. He's condemned it in the flesh. Therefore, you, you're to walk according to the Spirit. That's what you do. Listen to what he says. This is Peter writing. you got Peter, Paul, everybody's writing this. Like newborn babes, this is what you do. Long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Long for the word. Now, before the Lord saved me, I didn't read a lot. I was, I was a good student, but I didn't read a lot. I, I used cliff notes. The only book I read from cover to cover was in like the sixth grade at Sugarloaf. It was Cujo. Okay? That's why I don't trust your dog. I don't trust your dog. You say it's a chihuahua, I see Cujo. It can be a German shepherd, I see Cujo. I don't trust your dog. But after the Lord saved me, you know what I did? I longed for the pure milk of the word. I longed for it. I mean, I longed for it. I never had a desire to read until God saved me. I probably have 200 books on my phone. Read a book a month, at least one, and a book every day, every day long for it. So let me ask you a question, Christian. Have you been in God's Word? Look, listen. Bart Ehrman, who teaches at UNC, and I won't get into all his past, he's an agnostic. He'll ask his students. Now, he's an agnostic. He tries to refute this book. Do you believe this is God's Word? Almost all students raise their hand. All right. Do you believe God inspired this book? All 66 books. Almost every student. And then you know he'll ask you. How many of you read this book? Very few raise their hands. And he'll say, I, I, just, I just find this amazing. And he's a smart man. I love hearing him talk. That you think God wrote a book. It's inspired. It's supernatural. You won't even read it. So let me ask you a question, these tales. On everybody watching on Facebook, can you read? Can you read? I mean, do you have the ability to read words? This is not a physics book. I've read those books. This is not a biology book. It's greater. This is God's word can you read i remember doing chapel one time at the prison i was talking about the importance of these men reading god's word and i remember saying this i don't know how many men was in there's a bunch i said can you read i mean it was it was a great service and one of the men said it's no i can't i can't read 
And I just sit there like this, like, you can't read? He said, he said preacher, I can't read. And I said to the guy beside him, what's your name? He told me his name. I said, can you read? He said, yeah. And I said, will you read him the Bible? He said, I'll read him the Bible. Then in the back, another guy stood up. He said, I'll read him the Bible if he can't read him the Bible. And then a the guy over here in this corner says, I'll tell you what I'll do, preacher. If those two men can't read him the Bible, I'll read him the Bible. Hey, listen, if you can't read the Bible, I'll read you the Bible. You call me, and I'll read you the Bible. This is what you do. You've been declared not guilty. You've been set free. But in order to be victorious, like Peter said this, long for the pure milk of the word. And then listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us, this is what you do, cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. Let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. That's what we do. Cleanse yourselves. What he's saying is this, there comes a time when you stop praying about the junk in your life and get rid of it. Is that easy to understand? He's made this easy for us. Cleanse ourselves. One old-timey pastor said this from years ago. It is easy to point out other people's faults and to make every effort to protest against them. It seems natural for us to expose sin and ridicule the foolishness of this age or to preach virtue. It highly gratifies some people when they can find fault in some highly respected brother, they just tear him to pieces with about the same zest that might be displayed by an ape. But notice the, the apostle says, let us cleanse ourselves. All that we would look, would all look at ourselves. All that we would examine our own hearts and more. Paul says, this is what you do. You got any junk in your closet? Then he says, cleanse it out. You don't need counseling for that. You don't need motivation for that. That is what you do. Listen to what Paul said to the church at Philippi. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as only in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's what you do. That's what you do. If you're going to say, I'm going to be victorious, you work out your own salvation. You work it out. That means the things that you know to do, you do. The things God has called you to do, you do. Okay? It's not about somebody else's convictions. I, I used to, when I first became a Christian, I'd hear people share their convictions with me. You need to do this because of this. And I'd say, you got a Bible verse for me? And they never did. I said, I don't care what you wear, how you dress. I mean, most of them are taking Old Testament uh, uh, theology and trying to apply it now. It's so bad. I don't care about your, your convictions. I have my own, right? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's what you do. You do. You're responsible for yourself. You work it out. Notice what else is said here. Paul to the church of Galatia, I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. My counseling with you is over when I, when I read that. Every problem I deal with spiritually, I'll say this. Walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We're done. I'm not the best counselor. We're done. Okay. Well, I've had men say this. Preacher, I got a problem with porn. And you know, I'll say quit watching it. Stop watching it. It's in rocket science, isn't it? Just stop it. God has given you the, the, the ability. He's, killed, he's condemned sin in the flesh. Just stop doing it. That's what you do. We make so many excuses for ourselves. Just do it. Notice what else Paul says to the church at Rome. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. He's not the best counselor either. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Isn't that great? Don't do it. That's what you do. Then he says, instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. I am victorious because I say I am, because I have the Holy Spirit living within me. I'm not guilty for all eternity, so that should motivate me. So I will give myself completely to God and not give my body to sin. And then Romans 6, 16, and I'll quit with this. He says, do you, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey. You become a slave for whatever you choose to obey. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. That's what you do. Can't nobody do that for you. There's no reason to talk to me about it. Just do it. Just do it. I am not guilty. I am free. Sin no longer has rule and reign over my life. And I have to make the choice to be victorious. That's what you do. 
What changes do you need to make in your life? Stop looking at your neighbor and the world and look in the mirror and say, God, give me victory today. See, I am not guilty is a declaration God makes. I am free. That's a theological principle that God makes. I am victorious, you must say, and make that declaration. So I'll ask you this question as we close. Are you free? Are you not guilty? Are you victorious? You can be today. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we thank you for your word. Father, I want to thank you that, Lord, I am eternally not condemned because of Jesus. Father, I want to thank you that the, the very power of sin, Lord, I was a slave to sin. Lord, you have defeated that in my life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, Father, I want to thank you that, Lord, when I do give in, and Lord, we all do, that, Lord, you love us and you forgive us, and, Lord, we can be victorious. And, Father, I pray that every one of us in here this morning and those listening online would make this declaration about ourselves starting today. I am victorious. I will walk in the Spirit and set my mind on the things of the Spirit. I will not walk in the flesh or set my mind on the things of the flesh because I am not guilty and I am free and I am in Christ for God's glory. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, amen. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Now I want to thank you so much. Uh, everyone for being here and I'm going to ask you to stand with me okay and if we'll just do this with with me this will help us we're going to ask the right side here if you guys will go ahead and dismiss and you know of course we only have one way in one way out we have the offering plates back there if you if you're prepared to give we're going to encourage you to give but this side if you'll go ahead and leave and then we'll I'll dismiss you as uh, as time allows here